We've been uh, working through uh, something I've called Divine Direction. Uh, we're talking about some topics that I hope are relevant to uh, everyday life and looking for kind of a divine spark. Uh, we're going to look at the Bible and what Jesus had to say uh, about these things so that at the end of the day, and some of this stuff is really messy and it's like real life, but at the end of the day you can know, okay, I've, I've done what God has asked me to do and put kind of a divine spark into it. And let's just then let the chips fall. So uh, this is the last topic. We're going to talk about relationships, talk about friendships, getting along with other people, which in and of itself is as messy as it gets because we're all broken, fallen human beings capable of doing great good things and also capable of really making a mess out of things. And we have to live with each other somehow. And uh, what I want to do is I've I've struggled with with what to call this. I'm going to kind of go through a list of uh, sort of the habits of the most relationally healthy people I know. Now, some of these habits you're going to be good at, and some of them you're going to be bad at. And what I'm not trying to say is if you're not good at all of these, you're not relationally healthy. You can be very relationally healthy and then have a very unhealthy relational moment. So these are just kind of best practices and, and what I don't want you to do is walk out of here thinking I'm saying that if you don't grade at all this, you're not relationally healthy because that's not the case at all. Um, okay, enough of that disclaimer. You know what I mean. Believe the best of it. And let's, let's just start running the list. The most relationally healthy people value God's plan for community. The most relational healthy people value God's plan for community. Sometimes you just have to value something. Sometimes you're not very good at it. It's not a strong hand thing for you, but you just have to value it. And I would say that the most relationally healthy people, whether introvert or extrovert, at least value, they understand God's design for community in the world. The Bible is clear that creation is is working toward community. We were created to be in community with each other and with God. And creation is sort of God's plan is unfolding to one day when we're all together for all eternity. And I promise you, my introverted brothers and sisters, that somehow that is going to be a good thing. When we're all together for all eternity. There's this fascinating in the Old Testament. I think we're going to talk a little bit about Leviticus in the fall. Um, there's a progression of feasts that the calendar of the, of the ancient um, Jews were built around. And, and it's progressive. The feasts throughout the year, they celebrated it. They were central holidays and, and celebrations every year. And it worked its way to the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And during this feast, you left home and went to Jerusalem and lived in a tent all week long. Didn't work. It was like Woodstock. Every year. And that was like meant to be the, the, the culmination of the year. And what we, what we learned from those feasts is that they were foreshadowing the unfolding of God's plan. Culminating in Woodstock. Culminating in the day when every tongue and tribe and nation gathers together and celebrates. And, and so, so God built this thing around community. I want you to see in the Lord's Prayer. Um, many of you, if you grew up in a church home of any kind, even if it was just a Christmas and Easter deal, 
you probably have heard and are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, our Father, this is Jesus teaching us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice, and I put ridiculous emphasis in that reading, the we, us, and our versus the me, I, and mine. That's a communal prayer. Jesus says when you pray, pray with people in mind. Pray as though you're praying together. That's how important community is to Jesus. He wants the togetherness, the usness of our family to always be on our mind. And as we interact with God, it's not just me. It's me coming to him on behalf of us. So the most relationally healthy people I know value, even if they don't always like it, they value God's plan for community, and they understand that God is, by his very nature, a communal God, the triune, the three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, interacting with each other, and then calling us into that kind of interaction. Now, a word to my introvert brothers and sisters. I love you. God bless you. I get it. There are introverts and there are extroverts. It's a thing. Introverts get their energy by themselves. They give themselves away. Their batteries are, for lack of a better word, drained as they engage relationally. And then they need to go and recharge by themselves. Extroverts gain energy from the party. Here's the thing. Introverts can understand and appreciate extroverts. Extroverts will never understand introverts. They say things like, you just need to get out there. You just need to stop being so shy. Extroverts say, you know what would be great? If we stopped the service for 10 minutes and we all just like met each other. And then introverts say, if you do that again, I'm never coming back. Extroverts invented the name tag. Introverts hate name tags. Okay, here's the thing. I'm an introvert. I play an extrovert on Sunday mornings. And then I go home and I close a door and I recharge. Okay, I love this. But not all the time. I need to be away. I need to be by myself. I I need to recharge. Incidentally, this is a totally side note. Those of you, uh, one of the worst things imaginable is the introvert growing up as a child in an extrovert house. Because extroverts will never understand that school, like public school, is is for, for an introvert, 
it's traumatic. It's like, you know, seven hours of forced interaction, communal. And, and then they get home and they, they need downtime. And the parents are like, why don't you have some friends over? Why are you just going to sit there by yourself? Be social. And the, the introvert's like, I was, just did that for seven hours. So just, just you know, might have some scars there. Um, be mindful. But here, seriously, my introvert brothers and sisters, I get you. But we need to realize that, that God values community and community really is best. So I'm not saying go be friends with as many people as you can. But I'm saying try to get to a place where you're doing more in the family of God than just coming and bolting right before the last song's over so you can get to your car without interacting. Like I'm, I, ask you, I ask people, are you as connected at Polaris as you want to be? And sometimes the answer is like, yep, I don't want to be connected. Um, I, I just want to, you know, let me know if you're ready to take some steps, but I, I really listen. As an introvert, and I'm a pretty solid introvert, okay, um, it is better to have some deep friendships. Life is better when we live like God wants us to and have some deep, meaningful relationships. So the most relationally healthy people value God's plan for community. Number two. <clears throat> the most relationally healthy people I know create and protect healthy boundaries. The most relationally healthy people I know create and protect healthy boundaries. So let's look at Jesus as our example. There's a point when Jesus had fed like 5,000 people with uh, a couple of loaves of bread. Many of you are familiar with the story. Well, this made him very popular, handing out free meals. And so large crowds of people were trying to follow him, and he was going to different places around the Sea of Galilee. So here's what it says. When the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, so he had kind of ducked them, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum. It was a town on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So Jesus is calling them out. He's saying, you're only here to get a free meal. You're only here to take advantage of me. Then he unleashes, I hate to say it like this, but it's like this ridiculous, um, way down deep spiritual teaching about the bread of life, almost implying cannibalism. I'll let you read it in John 6. The point is Jesus creates this very difficult teaching moment that results in this. After this, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer walked with him. So what he did was he had healthy relational boundaries. He was not about to be used by people. And he wasn't afraid to sever those relationships. We'll talk about that for a minute in a minute. But what I want you to see is that Jesus had boundaries. He had in his mind established, this is what a relationship looks like. 
This is what I'm going after, and I will not tolerate a user. I will not tolerate a user. I will not be abused and taken advantage of. Luke 9, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you what that means. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, I'm homeless, and that's what it means to follow me. Leave everything if you want to be in my kind of relationship. Uh, then, he, then he said, uh, I'll follow you. Lord, first let me uh, go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, uh, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, but first let me go say farewell to those uh, at home, my home. And Jesus said, no one puts uh, his hand to the plow and looks back. Uh, no one that does that is fit for the kingdom of God. Now basically, don't get into the, I mean, Jesus is calling us obviously to a deeper level. Because if you look at me and say, oh, if you want to be friends with me, you need to leave it all. I'll say, well, that's good to know. I'm out. Okay, My, the point is that Jesus was aware, this is what a relationship with me looks like. He had standards, he had boundaries, and he was willing to say, if you're in, you're in, great. I'm in too. If you're out, that's fine but you're out. The most relationally healthy people I know don't have a bunch of toxic relationships. They won't tolerate it. They, 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 they know this is what a relationship looks like. This is what I'm after. They have boundaries. Conversely, um, some of the most unhealthy uh, relational environments are people who are willing to be used and taken advantage of for all sorts of reasons. Um, but that, that's very unhealthy for a, for, for a lot of reasons. So um, best practice, think about what's it mean to be in a relationship, a friendship, uh, and, and set boundaries. And uh, don't get walked on and don't tolerate toxic people. So uh, moving on. Um, number three, relation, and we're going to talk more about that as this um, talk unfolds. Um, relationally healthy people. Have awkward conversations. Relationally healthy people have a lot of awkward conversations. Here's the principle. This is from Jesus in, um, in Matthew chapter 6. This is from Jesus in Matthew chapter, uh, actually it's chapter 5. If you are offering, there we go. I, I just want to look at it for some reason. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, this one particular is a big deal. If you will just, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't value the teachings of Jesus, if you will listen to this principle, we talked about this last week, if you take God out of this equation, this principle just works. Jesus is saying, even if you're at church, ready to do something for God that is, that, that is valuable, that is meaningful, you stop that and you go if you know that somebody has something against you. <clears throat> Let's say you hear somebody at church say, hey, I was talking to such and such and they said that you blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> you leave it all and go and talk with that person and do whatever you can to make things right. And then you come back and continue on. So, so the, obviously there's a little bit of hyperbole there. But the point is, Jesus is saying, make it a first priority 
when you learn that someone has a problem with you or when you suspect, because I talk to you know, a lot of people, <clears throat> I don't know, uh, just something, something's weird. I, they haven't responded to my text or they haven't, they haven't liked my stuff on Facebook even. Or, or, you know, or I heard that they, you know, somebody was saying that they were talking about you know, whatever, that kind of stuff that, that you know what I mean, where it can be months of that. Jesus is saying at, at, at the, the first hint that there's some kind of awkwardness between you and somebody, go have an awkward conversation. Um, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm sensing that there's something here. And, and, and the thing is, we, we get to blame Jesus on this. How easy is that? You get to blame Jesus. I'm trying to follow Jesus, and, and I know one of the things that, that he has this plain teaching that if, if, there's, if there's something in between me and somebody else, I, I have to... I have to explore it, so I'm just really trying to be obedient to that. And most people respect when you're trying to practice your faith. Um, is, is there something? And here's the thing. Oftentimes there's not. Or if there is, you quickly realize it's not worth it, and the other person's like, oh, no, no, I just, we're, we're fine. I just, or there's some miscommunication in like, where you've been like at odds with somebody, missing out on a friendship for months, and it's one conversation, and then you're fine. That works. And the other thing it does is it creates a culture where you, um, people aren't going to talk about you. Like when they realize that that's your first thing, that you're going you're gonna to talk to them about, I, I heard we got a problem here. Well, they're not going to talk about you anymore because they know that's what you're going to do. So this, this, this principle just works. But the most relationally healthy people I know We'll have awkward conversations to get to the bottom of something messy in order to work it out. And I, and I promise you that um, this practice will make a difference in your relational world. All right, number four. The most relational, healthy people I know will part ways if necessary. The most relational, healthy people I know will part raised will, will, will part ways if necessary. Now, what we learned is that generally God wants us to reconcile. God wants us to do the work of reconciliation. So this isn't a free pass to just ditch a relationship or a friendship. Try to reconcile. But if it's obvious that it's just not healthy, or especially if you realize you're dealing with a toxic person, uh, one-sided, being taken advantage of, whatever. The most relationally healthy people I know will part ways if necessary. There's nothing inherently spiritual or moral about maintaining an unhealthy friendship. <clears throat> Here's from, this is from Acts 15. Some of the more uh, notable church leaders that started new churches in the first century. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So, I'm sure they didn't hate each other. I'm sure they were fine but they parted ways. 
they just did their own thing because they realized what they had gone just wasn't healthy, as healthy as it should be. And so what I notice is that relational healthy people don't hold grudges. Like they can forgive. And it's not like to spite, like, hmm, I'm going to take my ball and go home. But they're aware enough of what's healthy and what's not. And they're not going to be in a one-sided relationship getting taken advantage of for the rest of their life. So they're going to focus on healthy relationships. And they're going to walk away from unhealthy relationships. And it might be, honestly, for, for many of you, maybe the most spiritual thing that you can do is to think of some, some friendships that just aren't working that are just more trouble than they're worth. You're being taken advantage of, it's toxic, it's whatever. And you just decide, yeah, this, this just needs to, you know, I've had the conversations, it's not getting any better. Um, they're not healthy or I'm not healthy in this relationship. And it's just not, and, and just, if you want a good book for that, there's a book by Dr. Henry Cloud called Necessary Endings. Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's a doorstop, but it's really good. Talks through evaluating practically relationships and, and is there hope or is there no realistic hope and when to have a necessary ending in a friendship and just call it quits. So, um, the most relationally healthy people will part ways if necessary. Number five, the most relationally healthy people I know move from from to for. And what I mean by that is um, they don't ask, what can I get from this person? They ask, what can I do for this person? So they don't have a lot of relationships where they're thinking about how they can benefit. They have a lot of healthy relationships with boundaries, But in that healthy relationship, they're primarily asking, how can I help? How can I serve? How can I give? Now, that means that, uh, you know, this is not a license for a martyr complex. Some people, based on uh, the past and, you know, some family of origin stuff and some unhealthy things, have a martyr complex. And and I know that many of you, it's, it's, it's like a burden, uh, codependency is difficult and you need to be needed for a variety of painful reasons. And, and maybe you approach a relationship um, with like an unhealthy desire to serve. <clears throat> like, the, like you play the role of the martyr and you're aware of that. And, and that's that, that you're getting used and taken advantage of all the time. And somehow that feeds in because it's a need to be needed. Or you feel like it makes you feel needed. And, and really you're just being used and all that. So I don't want you to hear to say. I don't want you to hear move from from to for. And say I need to serve. I need to serve. I need to serve. And, 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 and you use that as a way to continue on unhealthy. Because really you're not serving. It's, it's like you're enabling. You're feeding the animals. And that's not what this is. No, this is, to understand this, you have to look at Jesus and, uh, and his teaching about this. And it's in um, Mark um, chapter, what is it? Can I see the verse? Mar- or Matthew chapter 20. It's also in Mark in a different, a different passage. The Son of Man 
came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus already showed us he wasn't here to be taken advantage of. He had a high bar. But in the context of that relationship, he was there not to be served, but to serve. There's a second type of personality that can't get from the fore right. And that's the person who is constantly looking to take advantage of the friendship. And maybe some of you are too interested in gaining friendships that are going to benefit you socially or gaining friendships that are going to benefit your career or everything is a network like you go to a party and you're swapping business cards and maybe that's you and maybe that's fine but I just want you to think about that um, like let that be a oh this business card does it represent something unhealthy where I'm primarily looking to how can I somehow benefit from this relationship so just beware and, and again, you know, some of you are learning this stuff for the first time, and, and it's, it's a whole new way of looking at the world. Um, but be willing to have a hard conversation with yourself and ask, have I moved from from to for? Or am I still primarily looking at relationships as to what can I get out of it? All right. Um, number six. This one hurts, because I'm not very good at this. Relationally healthy people clearly and directly state their wants, needs, and frustrations. The opposite of this is um, sarcasm and truth in jest and passive-aggressive behavior um, and, and I just honestly, um, I have a ways to go with this because as they say, I work in sarcasm like many artists work in oils and clays. Um, it is my true medium, a master. I, um, I, I, truth and jest like, I, I mean, I, I have fun joking around with people, then every now and then I'll slide in a backhanded stab as a joke. Um, sarcasm, passive-aggressive, like, I'm just not going to like his or her Facebook posts. I'll like everybody else's. Um, I'm going to not go to their thing. Uh, we're going to have a party of our own. Things that we do that are indirect... Um, things that aren't upfront and clear. Jesus talks about letting your yes be yes. And he specifically, when he does this, addresses a tendency in the ancient uh, religious leadership to have like a code language. Some things meant some things, other things meant other, and you only knew if you were in the club. It was their way to indirectly make promises or, or, make, or tell lies, basically. And he's saying, let your yes be a yes. In other words, be direct. Um, say what you mean, mean what you say. And the most relationally healthy people can ask for what they want <clears throat> with clarity. Like I tell myself a lot, Alex, use your words. Use your real words or don't say it at all. Because I have this tendency, kind of like I did with the introvert-extrovert thing. Where I, truth and jest, just stabbed extroverts. Um, that's a real tendency that I have 
that I need to do a lot of work on. Um, and then one more, I'm just going to make a, make a mention of this, and probably sometime I need to do like a whole series on this one. So I'm just going to kind of throw it out there. Um, the most relationally healthy people, um, number seven, don't keep score. <clears throat> don't keep score. And then this is, again, with the foundation of you understand what a healthy relationship looks like, you're willing to walk away but in the context of a healthy relationship that you've decided that's worth pursuing, you're not keeping score. All kinds of scripture teaches us that God's economy doesn't keep score. And so there's a dangerous tendency, especially I notice it among like helper personalities, people who love to help and serve. is kind of like, I love to help and serve, but I expect to be helped and served as well. And so I did that thing for you. I have this deep down expectation that now you're going to, and, and again, it's okay to ask, is this a one-sided, you, you know, I'm not, this is not a, don't tolerate one-sided relationships, okay? But when you realize this is not a one-sided relationships or relationship, don't keep score. The most relationally healthy people I know they're willing to love and serve and give, and there's no sense of, you owe me this. Um, they're in it for the relationship, and they don't keep score. All right, so um, I'm going to post uh, at some point on our church uh, Facebook, and on I'll do my, um, my, my Facebook as well, um, that list. And would love for you to kind of, and I'll, I'll also update it, and I'll put it in the app, um, would love for you, I didn't do it now because I didn't know what all I'd get through today. Um, I'll go through those seven and uh, just kind of take a look this week and say, what, were, what are my strengths? And then uh, where, can I, where can I grow? Uh, what's God saying to me and what am I going to do about that? Okay, let's pray and then we're going to do one last song. Father, uh, thank you for being a communal, relational God. A loving God, uh, thank you for including us. Man, we get to be here. We were born. So we get to be in your relational plan for the unfolding community of the world. And um, help us to play our role well in that. In Jesus' name, amen.